This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Hey, man, the streak's over. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to think right now. We're supposed to be tanking. How do we feel? What what is this feeling? What is winning? What is uh well this is just primer for streak 5.0 to happen right after this, right? Like this this isn't real. This isn't long lasting. Ducks go ahead and beat the Avs 2 to 1 today to end their five game losing streak, Eddie. It's kind of a thing in the in the Ducks world right now where everyone's split. Do you want to tank? Do you want to win? Some people don't want to watch their team lose, but they kind of swarm to tank. Some people just like tank the whole season. I don't care. And then there's the crazy people who think the Ducks don't have a chance to do to do something in the playoffs. So, yeah, well, no, not not a good I'm thing. Sorry. If you if you feel that way, I understand wanting to feel that way because you want you want the Ducks to make the playoffs. You want them to be good. This is a new feeling for a lot of people. I had a discussion with somebody earlier today where we we're talking about the future plan for the Ducks and and what the next few years look for them. And they're like, yeah, like, this is just a new feeling for a lot of us because the Ducks have been so good for so long, and, you know, especially for a lot of the younger fans coming in and just really experiencing only success with this team. And now you've got this first year of them just not doing well. And it's a tough decision and, and a tough feeling to hop on the boat and say, hey, like, we want them to do bad because it means good things for the future. Right. Especially when you go eight years, right? Eight years of winning, going to the playoffs, being a dominant team. Pacific Division titles. We've had this conversation before, but we're getting to that yeah. point in the season now at game 66. There's not a lot of games left. We have 16 games left in the in the year before we call it quits. And if you're if you're a Ducks fan and you're hoping this team gets to the playoffs, I, I get it. But it's just gonna cause more harm than good at this point, as Eddie just said. So but this was a this is a pretty fun game for Anaheim. You know, to come out and win 2-1, to one, got some physicality, a dirty, dirty play uh, by Ian Cole, which we'll definitely get to there on poor Devin Shore. Um, but uh, I think the Ducks played a pretty solid game tonight against a team that wasn't all that great, to be real with you. But uh, it was nice now, to see the Ducks tighten things up. They're in a dog hunt too, though, right? They're in a dog hunt for the playoffs. Like, this is a, a massive game for the Colorado Avalanche to try and get into that final wild card. They spot, were calling so. it a must win on the broadcast. They were saying that the Avs are talking about it's, it as a must win situation. Yeah, it's not that territory yet, but you're getting there, right? Like, if the Ducks were in that position, we'd be saying it's a must win if you're trying to get into the playoffs because every point matters. And if you've got other teams like the Wild and the Stars that are winning games, 
and you lose one against a team you should probably beat, then it, it becomes a must win. And there's not that many games left for this season. There's about less than 20 games for most teams left. So it's as close to a must win as you can get until like the last week of the season where if you win it, you're in or you lose and you're out kind of situation. But they're almost there. And this is one they should have won. And you could tell they, they had a really big push at the end of the period, at the end of the third period where they, they started to, to kind of get things on. And we've seen from the Ducks in the past where they like to just sit back when they have the lead. They do it all the time, especially this year. And they did it, and luckily they withstood it. Gibson made a couple big saves, but you could tell that Colorado really wanted it at the end of that at the end of the game. But the Ducks, the Ducks tied them up, and the Ducks played a really good defensive game uh, for the most part. I I really felt like they stepped up a lot. We've seen from the Ducks in the past where. Oh, did we lose your audio, Eddie. Are you still there? No, I'm still. I'm, I'm staying here. Sorry, what'd you say? No, I was just saying, like, it's just where they're able to step up and. and you saw a big thing, the broadcast, you know, made notice of it as well, where there were a lot of plays in the neutral zone. The Ducks were able to step up on and intercept passes, get in the way of uh, the offense trying to get into the zone. They did a really good job of that, limiting scoring chances. And the Ducks still had some finishing problems, but uh, they were able to convert enough to where they were able to pull off a victory here. So I think it was a pretty solid 60 minutes for the Ducks tonight. Um, we saw the captain come back uh, after missing five games with an upper body injury. Kevin Waugh makes a return to the lineup. Uh, haven't seen him in quite some time after he played 25 games last season for the Ducks. And then we also um, shoot, also got another strong game from Brendan Gooley. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I really feel like John Gibson had a pretty solid game. I, I, he didn't see much in the way of any extraordinary um, you know, chances against. But uh, overall, solid game. Faces back in the lineup. Things are starting to look good uh, for the Ducks here. Funny thing is it wasn't as strong a game as yesterday. But the Ducks are able to pull out a win in this one. I mean, the the game against Vegas on paper is one of the better games they've played in a long time. Yeah. And, and this one this one is a little bit closer. I mean, we, we talked about it yesterday looking at expected goals. The Ducks should have won that game 3-2, 4-2. But they end up losing 3 nothing. They just can't put the puck in the back of the net. And then in this one, they're right around where they probably should have been. I mean, you look at expected goals, it was 2.26 for the Ducks, 2.23 for the Ops. So it was a a really close game that should have finished around 2-1 for, for one of the teams. So, yeah, this is what you kind of expected from this game. The Ducks did have that slight edge. They did play a little bit better than the Avalanche. They sat back in, in the end of the third period, and you could kind of see that, the, the way the trend of the shot shares were going, that it dipped down a bit in the final five minutes of the game. But that's to be expected, not just from the Ducks, but from, from generally a lot of teams in this league sit back when they have a lead, especially in the final few minutes. And a lot of that's due to the fact that the avalanche uh, pulled their goalie with about two minutes to go as well so but it, it was a great effort and and you know this isn't the time for the ducks to look better and start playing better and have two really solid back-to-back games because they are trying to or a lot of people want them to tank and go for that top five pick and now they put together two strong games they're looking better and not only are they looking better you've got john gibson back in the net for both of those games and ryan kess uh, ryan Getzlaff comes back in this game so it, it, it's hard to tank when you get arguably your two best players back in the lineup. You know, you get a, a goaltender, finally. John Gibson had missed nine of the last ten games. And then you get your, your captain and your best forward back in the lineup. So it makes things difficult to tank when you've got those two guys playing. Yeah, and some interesting lineup changes, too, as well. Uh, Derek Grant and Nick Ritchie noted as injured. I don't know the extent of the injuries. I didn't see any reporting. Were you able to catch up on any of that? I know that you were also... Uh, working today at a, at a Wolves game. But uh, were you able to see anything as to what's going on with Nick Ritchie or Derek Grant? It was just surprising. They, 
Yeah, they were just listed. I think one had a lower body injury, one had an upper body injury. And that's all they listed it as. And they were kind of late announcements today on uh, them being scratches for the game. And I, I'm assuming, well, I, I guess it's kind of obvious. That's why Kevin Wall was called up is to replace Nick Ritchie on, on the wing. And then Getzlaff comes in to replace Derek Grant. So it wasn't that hard of a transition. But I, I, don't, I doubt they're long term because they played the entire game against Vegas, right? I don't think anybody left and went to the Didn't locker see anything. room. So. Yeah. so it could have just been something like after the game, like, hey, I'm just not feeling 100% to go, you know, a, a day and a half later to go play against Colorado Avalanche. So I don't think it's long-term. Um, at, at this point, you know, it's not a surprise that the amount of man games lost the Ducks have had this year. Why not add two more Oh, guys Bombay in our chat just says Derek Grant's body struggles to contain his greatness. So that's yeah. a goodie. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then... Nick Ritchie's, I guess, what, is the complete opposite? So, mm. <laughs> Not the, okay, I don't want to be hard on oh, him. That's been a low blow. Show. He's been better than Derek Grant. So if you're looking at it realistically, yeah. Nick Ritchie's been one of the most improved Ducks, ducks this year. So that was a bit harsh. But Man, yeah, it, I, it, I was just going to say, quite the interesting lineup tonight, too. Right? You have a little yeah. bit of uh, fresh faces back in the lineup. Some guys that we've seen for a bit out with injury. Then you have Kevin Waugh. And Getzloff and Perry on the top line. Sprong, Henrique, and Terry on the second line. Raquel, Shore, and Silverberg at the third. And that leaves poor Max Jones to play along with Ryan Kessler and Carter Rowney. Interesting choice uh, for the lineup here from, I almost said Randy Carlisle, <laughs> from Bob Murray. So We're ever messing up names like the last three shows. I know. So. It's just been, it's just <laughs> been a, uh, it's just been an interesting tenure for Bob. Bob's done a lot of weird things. But that have worked. The, d- the defense has yeah, definitely tightened it. things up. They've played better. Um, this team is more aggressive. But the lineups, I mean, this didn't hurt Max Jones's game. I just felt like maybe he should. He deserves a better center than Ryan Kessler. Just oh, he does for sure. Yeah, I, I've liked, honestly, what Bob Murray's done with his lineup decisions because generally he puts the right guys together. And um, I'll get to that in a second. But you, he also makes bold moves. Like, he put Lindholm and Manson back together, which has worked out perfectly, which we thought it would work out perfectly because it always has worked out well for the Ducks. Yeah. And then I know the, the other pairings, when he had Fowler and Montour split up, wasn't the best decision because uh, you had Montour playing bottom pairing. Man, it was about 15, 16 minutes a night, and then ends up getting traded. So that might not have been the best decision. But now Gooley and Fowler are together, and that seems to be working out. And then you get to today, and I think, you know, when you look at Kevin Waugh and, and Daniel Sprung, you don't really get anything served by putting them on that bottom line. These are two guys that are offense first and that generally need to be playing with players that can get them the puck or at least can complement their, their abilities offensively. And then you go to Max Jones, who is similar to Andre Kasha in the sense that you can just put him anywhere in this lineup and he's going to do well. And, you know, it sucks for him to have to go down to the fourth line, not get as many minutes and not get as many A-plus opportunities like he's been getting. Still created a couple good ones for himself anyway. But you, you need Wah and Sprong to be playing with guys or, that are going to get them the puck if you want them to be effective. You put them on the fourth line, they're going to be... Yeah, both of them had great games. Sprong yeah, and exactly. Wah had great games today. They really, really did. They had a lot of scoring chances. We saw Sprong get a breakaway that was foiled at the last possible second thanks to Sam Gerrard's incredible skating ability. Uh, you saw Sprong also wire one off the post. Wall was able to tip one in on Grubauer high on a great no-look backhand by Getzloff, his his patented pass. But they just were unable to convert. I mean, as most of the Ducks have been have you know been unable to do. But very strong games from those guys. 
very impressive game for the uh, for those wingers. Yeah, and, and honestly, Max Jones still on the fourth line was able to create a couple opportunities for himself, which we've seen every game now. He actually had another golden opportunity where he made a, a, a nice in tight toe drag, where he got around a, a Colorado Avalanche player in front of the net, and then it gets no the stick, end. but still good. Well, still, it's still a good move. It's, it's, Nemeth had no a, stick, but still good. It's a quick it's move. Good. It's a, it's a high hockey IQ move where mm-hmm. he kind of is in a tight position. He's get, he makes the decision to make the move instead of shoot the puck, which uh, is is something you know not many guys can do, especially with his size. And he gets a nice backhand chance, and then obviously the, the fight ensues between Nemeth and and Corey Perry afterwards, and Max Jones bowls right into Grubauer. But those are the types types of chances he gets every game, and it doesn't matter if he's on the second line, the top line, the fourth line. He's the type of player who's going to at least get one or two of those a game. Well, hey, man, let's get to this game here. We'll talk about the highlights here in just a sec, but I just want to just chime in real quick to everyone in chat, anyone listening. If you haven't checked out our Patreon and you want to help out the show, uh, I'm sure you probably heard this before from us, but uh, we do four extra bonus shows every uh, every month. Um, we do We have watch parties coming up. We have giveaways. We do all kinds of stuff with our Patreon people. Who support us and if you want to check that out i encourage you guys to go check us out on patreon um it's just a nice way to help our show out all the money goes back into the show whether it's you know uh, you know upgrading equipment or re-upping our speaker which we just did for this season um you name it we're putting it back in towards you guys if you go to the top tier and you do the ten dollar a month tier you get a free puck bottle opener which is one of these yeah, just ask some of the guys cool. in our chat too that that are there. I mean, if if you do enjoy the show, we do a couple fun bonus shows. We just yeah. did a Bucks and show, which is which is pretty fun, and 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 no, they're great shows to check out. And if you can't, no worries. This show's no worries always at all free. either. You don't have to worry about this show ever going away. It's always going to be free. We're always going to be doing it. But uh, if you do want to check that out, we do four bonus shows a month, like Pat said, and you get the fancy puck bottle opener. So, yeah. And you get to join our Discord chat and talk with us all the time. So, and talk trash all the time, which is fun. If you're not yeah. sick of us, then you, then you can do that as well. <laughs> yeah, but like Eddie said, no big deal if you can't or don't want to. That's totally fine. We appreciate the support anyway, but just had to do a little self-promotion there for our show. Um, all right, man, let's get into the game here. First period, a strong period of the Ducks. They dominated largely for the first half of this period, especially I feel like uh, it just was a game. The Ducks were just willing themselves to play better. I, 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 the, the, you know, the, uh, I can't, I'm like tongue twisted here. But the broadcast kept talking about Fowler stepping up, Gooley stepping up, Manson stepping up. Manson steps up and absolutely gets a big piece of Miko Ranton. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that. I know you were on yeah. your way back, but he crushed him at I the blue line. I watched it back, yeah. And yeah. Ranton is a big kid. I didn't realize how big of a guy that, that he six was. 6'4, yeah. Yeah, he's I'm a big sure dude. Six Big dude. So it's nice to see Manson doing that though, because that's kind of been missing at times. We see it occasionally this year, but last year he was a menace. Like he, nobody wanted to go near Josh Manson last year. He he about two or three times a game, like threatened to kill somebody. It seemed like like he was he, was <laughs> he gets there. that he gets the Dave Manson eyes. He gets his dad's look in his eyes. Yeah, he was out there to make a difference <laughs> last year. So you haven't seen it as much this year, but lately he's kind of got a little bit back into that. I think some of that has to do with him playing with Hampus Lindholm, just being a bit more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. How about that shift in the first period by Troy Terry, though? Nice little comfortable shift, building up confidence, going around from behind the net, circling over the top of the circle, working the puck into the slot, gets a shot blocked, and still was able to recuperate and get another shot in on Grubauer. I mean, I know he hasn't scored in this game and or doesn't score in this game, but 
just a really strong, confident play there by Troy Terry. It's nice to see him be able to step up and do that after such a rough time in his first stint with Anaheim. He's gaining so much more confidence in the second call-up, and it's it seems like game by game, he's getting better and better. He scored the goal a couple games ago, and uh, he's just looking great, honestly, which is nice to see because the struggles this year – at the beginning of the year, we thought he was going to come in and be the best young player for the Ducks, and quickly turned out that he was one of the worst young players to, to make their debut for the Ducks this year and got sent down before anybody else and then started tearing it up for San Diego and, and got some confidence down there and came back up, and he's looked great since then. So it, it's nice to see him. I was a bit surprising because I didn't think he would be here, especially with the, the Ducks stressing that they want the goals to be competitive. And uh, now we've got you know Jones and Terry still up here, but... I think they both are deserving to still be in the Ducks lineup. The way they've been playing, I mean, they, they're just impressive game in and game out. Still not on the, cons- the score sheet consistently, but nobody is really on the score sheet for the Ducks. But as long as they're making plays, eventually the points are going to come. Yeah, no, I mean, and even even that, just to be able to gain the confidence, right, at the NHL level is huge for guys like Jones and Terry. I, I really feel that that's, that's a huge plus side for them. Eventually they're going to break through. Terry's already broken through. Uh, with goals at the NHL level, but Jones is so close. Um, let's talk about this absolute snipe by Jacob Silverberg. His patented, his patented quick release, and it was actually the one that blew up Grubauer's bottle, which I always love when that happens to goalies. You know how much I love goalies. Um, yeah. Just destroys the water bottle, rips it. I mean, just an absolute beautiful shot right by the head of Grubauer, which I thought it was funny, Eddie, that that uh, the broadcast says that it's probably one that Grubauer wishes he had back. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Didn't even see it. So it's yeah, it, it's one of the ones where he's a little bit out of position, but it's that, that is just a perfect shot because it, it's not like a pure short side snipe where there's barely any room to fire. Grubauer is cheating a bit to the middle. I think he's possibly looking for the pass, and he leaves more space than he probably would have wanted to. So I guess in that sense, I agree he might want it back. But still, I mean, this is a snipe over the shoulder right in the center of the net pinged off the water bottle i mean nobody is stopping that no matter what unless you you've come out super far to challenge it and this is what jacob silverberg does when you give him that time and space it's not 100 percent consistent we've talked about this before silverberg that shot doesn't always come off but when it does it, it's so pretty to watch that just pop the water bottle he does it so often when he actually gets that shot where it always seems to hit the water bottle off well, and it's kind of like when you buzz the tower, meaning when you're going to fly right by the goalie's head like that, that's a tough shot. I mean, o- almost all goalies have their glove side pretty strong. Uh, gone are the days of the 90s and 80s where you're able to just rip a shot fast and blow it by a goalie. Some guys can still do that, and it happens every once in a while uh, to every netminder. But when you're going to buzz the head like that by a goalie, get right over the shoulder like that, that's a tough save. Um, and it was all created, though, because of Brendan Gooley. I don't know if you saw the beginning of that play, but he steps up at the neutral zone, intercepts a pass, it gets chipped over to Silverberg, and then causes the whole rush, and then Gooley joins the play. He's been outstanding. What? I just, I don't know. I don't know what you want to say about him, but just what a play by him to be able to do that. He's done it night in and night out since he's come to Anaheim. I know a small sample size, but he's proven that he can play at both ends of the ice, and it's just been a welcome um, a welcome return for Brandon Montour. Honestly, I really feel like Brendan Gooley's really stepped his game up, and I, we don't really miss uh, Brandon Montour that much so far. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look like he's 21 and also doesn't look like he spent most of his year in the AHL. He looks like he belongs, and he looks like he belongs in that spot on a second-pairing unit where 
He's not making any mistakes, and then he's making heady plays like that to intercept the puck and just chip it up forward to the Jakob Silverberg. It's not a stretch pass. It's not you know a rush into the zone. It's just a smart play to get it up to the player, give him give him some space, put the defenseman on the back foot, and then you get Jakob Silverberg that much space. He's going to do what he did. He's going to make the goaltender pay. So. Brendan Gooley has just been impressive in, in pretty much every game he's played, especially the last three. And, and you know, even just if you want to shorten it a little bit, the last two against Vegas the other night was one of the best games he's played since I've seen him come over to the Ducks. 100%. And then, yeah, and, and then today was was impressive again. I mean, against Vegas, he played 23 minutes and, and or 24 minutes, and today he played just over 20. So they're starting to gain more confidence in this guy and give, put him out in different situations. He's getting power play time. I think he had power play one time today. He's on the penalty, penalty kill at times, and he's playing a, a significant amount of minutes at 5-on-5, five five, I think over 15 minutes at 5-on-5 five five today as well. So... It's great to see him doing well because it, it kind of lets you move on quickly from Brandon Montoya. As tough as well, it is. And it's, dude, and you know Randy Carlisle would have never given him these kinds of minutes. He just yeah, doesn't exactly. give young guys minutes like this. He's like, you well, got to eat it on the third pair. You're, you're not going to play up here. I just I really feel like it would have been a much different story if Carlisle was coach. If he was here, I mean, Carlisle would be forced to pretty much play a young guy because the Ducks don't have many options right now. <laughs> where like it would either be playing him or playing Jakob Larson. But it'd be right it'd be Magna and 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 uh, and Gooley on the on the third pair, and there's no way he's playing 20 minutes plus. Yeah, no, I I, I can see that. Yeah, it's, so it's nice to see Bob Murray, and he's really experienced uh, experimenting and letting these young guys play. Like he's given minutes to Max Jones, he's given minutes to Troy Terry giving minutes to Kevin Watt tonight in his first game of the season. He's putting him on the top line saying, hey, show me what you got. I'm going to give you the best opportunity I can tonight. And then also giving Brendan Gooley over 20 minutes a night as a 21-year-old who's played six or seven games this year in the NHL. So it, it's great. And, you know, it's nice to see in it that he really wants to understand what he's got in his lineup because, you know, he said he was going to do that. and But you never know what's going to happen until he gets behind the bench and shows that that's what he's trying to do. And, and it really looks like he wants to see what he has in these young guys and see what he needs to go out and change in the offseason. He's got to look at the whole picture, right? He's got to, he's, like you said, he's got to look at what's happening here in Anaheim to be able to, you know, decide what his decisions are going to be for the offseason. Um, we have to look at something here, though, before we get out of the first period. There was no more sco- no more scoring. Well, now we got to talk about your boy Ian Cole, okay? Ian Cole. Okay, he's not my. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. You wanted Ian he's Cole on this team. Boy, did you not man. want Ian Cole on the Ducks? I remember I vividly Cole you did. when he was with Columbus, and he was one of the better shot share defensemen available at the deadline, and the Ducks were looking for a left shot defenseman to come in and be a valuable piece to a playoff push as a rental. That's when Ian Cole was my boy going into the trade deadline. Ever since that, and then in free agency after that, he was another guy I was looking to get. Then he signed with Colorado, and he's no longer my boy anymore. I just <laughs> wanted him to come over and be a good piece, and then the Ducks ended up going to get Jason Chimera and Chris Kelly and not really Ooh, doing anything. Uh, Captain Canada, excuse me, Chris so, Kelly. No, it's not Ian Cole is not my boy. He's just a guy <laughs> at one point I wanted to sign and then didn't come over to the Ducks. So I know I skipped over the Fowler goal, but the, honestly, the the biggest news of that second period was his hit. So I figured we should talk about it first. It was an offsides play, okay? Devin Shore gets the puck at the blue line, and a Ducks player was already offside. Whistle goes. It happened quick, but there was no movement whatsoever from Shore moving his knee into a bad position. 
or there was no movement from Ian Cole where he was trying to sidestep and caught it. This is a blatant knee. Like, this was a dirty play by a guy wearing a full cage. Like, get out of here. You're going to throw a dirty hit, and then you're going to wear a full cage like that too, and then be like, oh, what, oh, what do you mean? I didn't mean to do it. He just returned from injury too, and it was Brutal. late. It was really late too. Like, the whistle had already blown for offside. And it was about three or four seconds after. I know Shore is skating into the zone still and, and uh, kind of sidesteps into the middle. But, like, he, he I had a, Cole has to know what he's doing here. Like, he has to know what he's doing. And then the fact that he looks up, he's like, oh, like, what happened? What did I, what did I do? And, like, nobody really goes in there. And, like, I, I'm not a guy, like, old-time hockey type guy. Like, I don't really care too much if a guy just goes and pummels a guy. But in this situation, like, you got to go stick up for your player. Like, you have to go and, and, and try and get after him. And Ryan Getzlaff pretty much just skates over there and stops an Avalanche player from getting involved with other Ducks players. So, I don't know. And there's no re- retaliation after this, after the fact either. Like, nobody really cared after this. Ian Cole was gone from the game, which I think helped that a little bit. And that's probably why the refs did it. But just it just kind of blew by, and that was it. It happened, and then nobody talked about it after I don't get it. Like, I don't know why. I know that, like, it was, like, a little bit of a, you know, a gathering over there. But maybe the players didn't see it or I don't know. But it was pretty egregious. And it, it kind of reminded me, and I, maybe a different scenario for sure, but it reminded me of the Roosevelt Dustin Brown injury. Do you remember when Dustin Brown did the knee-on-knee against uh, Roosevelt when Phoenix and L.A. played each other in the playoffs several years yeah. ago? But uh, yeah. Dustin Brown, it was an offside play. Didn't Didn't slow down. Didn't slow down, just takes the knee out. And he, the instant replays would make me cringe for sure because his knee definitely hyperextended. That, that is not a good look. Um, I, there was just Eric Stevens tweeted out a few minutes ago saying that they're just waiting on an MRI on, on Devin Shore to see the extent of the injury. I'm assuming it's not good news. I'm it's, just, yeah, it did look. <laughs> you look at his reaction when he's falling to the ice, like he's in considerable pain before he even hits the ice. So that's never a good thing. It looks like he hyperextended his knee which is going to be really painful. And it's unfortunate because the Ducks already have, like you said, Derek Grant and Nick Ritchie out for, we don't think it's going to be long, but we don't know. And now Ryan another Getzlaff, center's gone. Yeah, Ryan Getzlaff just got back. And Devin Shore, who'd been centering Ricard Raquel and uh, Jakob Silverberg, and playing pretty well there. Now he's out for however long. And I would assume Derek Grant steps back in and they shuffle some, some things around. But it, it's still never good. I mean, the, the injury troubles the Ducks have had this year is just unreal the amount of guys and it's not even just this year like the it's last like five three or four years <laughs> where like guys just guys just cannot stay healthy and even bob murray talked about that he's like like i don't get what's going on like he's really like people are looking into it, it comes down to like the trainers now like you're really getting that far down there like are the ducks doing enough to keep their players healthy because it's becoming a trend and when you have this happening three or four years in a row it's not bad luck anymore like something's going on that these guys just can't stay healthy. And, you know, before you could have chalked it up to the way they were playing, and they're just a physical, big-body team that played on the edge. And generally, when you do that, guys are going to get hurt. But now it's just like, it, it happens so often, it's just ridiculous. So something has to be going on, and hopefully Devin Shore isn't out for too long because it'd be nice to get him back in the lineup and see what he can do because he's making a, an audition. I know he still has a year left on his contract, but he's, you know, he's making the case to stick around next year and be an important player. Yeah. And it's just, it's unfortunate because I hate those kinds of hits. I hate them. It's not a headshot. Okay. It's still a dirty play. It's unnecessary. 
I don't see the need and do even a try to avoid contact. I just don't understand why that's even in Ian Cole's mind to go out and make some sort of hit like that. It was dirty, very dirty. I would be surprised. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I won't be surprised say what? if he doesn't get suspended. <laughs> I won't be surprised if he doesn't get get a call from Department of Player Safety because he got a five out of ten in the second period. But uh, I don't know, man. I wasn't I wasn't very happy about it whatsoever. In chat, by the go way, either way. Because it it all depends what they say is if they think he did it on purpose or not. And and sometimes the reaction the player has after the play, which it shouldn't, but it will, will play a role in decision making. Subliminally, you know, they'll look at that and be like, "Oh, he didn't mean to." Like you look at his reaction, and Jared Bednar, as Ike brought up in our chat, had the same reaction on the bench. Like, oh, he wanted like an explanation. He was just like, "What? What are you talking about?" I don't know. I don't know. What did uh, what did Bombay say in our chat? Uh, so he said a couple of inappropriate things about you and Ian Cole, but one of them was uh, Eddie keeps a lock of uh, Ian Cole's hair in his wallet. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, Thomas Tatar, all the all the all the players that I wanted to, <laughs> that come over to the Ducks that never came over. I've just I've got a shrine somewhere of all of them. You have to, right? It's a Canadian thing. I'm pretty sure it's a Canadian thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it, it's it's. It's it's just a Canadian thing, I'm sure, 100%. All right, let's get to the goal by Cam Fowler because you know what, dude? It came on the freaking power play. Came on the power play. Since yeah, what is this team able to set up and have chances and score well, on the power play? It came on the power play, but it let, let's stress it wasn't like a Vegas power play goal. No, it, <laughs> it wasn't the beautiful passing. So, no. So it's, it's yeah, it's nice it came on the power play, but it wasn't like a power play goal where you're like, oh, that was a nice puck move, but it was just a shot from the point that hit a, an avalanche player and went in. But, hey, it still came on the power play, so there's that. <laughs> hey, Matt Calvert had a hell of a tip on this play, all right? Let's not, let's not discount this yeah, whatsoever. Too, too, bad, too bad he's wearing an avalanche jersey. So. <laughs> so, and then a little bit of fun to wrap up the second period um, because it was beautiful here. It uh, <laughs> Jones, like you had already alluded to it, with the nice little move on Nemeth without a stick, gets around, gets a backhand shot, Grubauer mid with the save. Zadorov comes over to say hello to Jones because, you know, God forbid you know, someone tap his goalie. It wasn't even that much of a, of a play. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Corey Perry just goes apeshit all over Patrick Nemeth in, in the circle and fights, takes him down, and everyone's like, what? Why is he going crazy? And then, I don't know if you saw in the broadcast, he got a nice slash across the wrist from Nemeth in the play before, which is the yeah. reasoning why he went after Nemeth. But somehow Perry gets four minutes for this. Is anyone else confused by that? Yeah, I was, but like I think the reasoning behind it is because he technically instigated the fight. Yeah. Like, he skates over yeah. to Nemeth, gives him a cross check, and, and then kind of throws his gloves down first, and then obviously they both start fighting, but... He, on those types of plays, if, if, you know, he doesn't come over and mug the guy, you know what I mean? Like, he comes over, and they both kind of talk and give a cross-check, and they fight. Like, that's five for fighting. That's what it should be. It mm. wasn't roughing. They fought. Like, it, it, yes, it ended quickly, but it should have been five for fighting for both of them, and that's it. No penalties going up because that cut the Ducks' five-minute power play pretty much down to nothing. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't get these sometimes. It's up to the ref's discretion at this point. You know, I can see where they're coming from, and Perry went over and, I guess you could say, initiated the fight. And if you want to give him an instigator penalty, sure. 
but uh, their explanation of the double minor for roughing, like at least call it what it is if you're going to give them an extra two. Call it two for instigating, get them both five for fighting, and then do that instead of saying, oh, they're both getting two for roughing, but Perry's just getting an extra two because we want to give him an extra two. Like, that, then you open it up to people saying, like, well, what are you doing? Like, that like, makes why? no sense that way. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. But that, that would kind of wrap up the second period. And then the third period was kind of uneventful. Johnson hits the crossbar. Manson takes a penalty, and then, holy hell, what a snipe by Derek Broussard. It was his second goal uh, with the ass since he came over at the trade deadline. But he's all alone on a bang-bang play on the side of the net. I mean, what are you going to do there if you're John Gibson? And it's a power play. He was all alone, just rips a top shelf, and also this 2-1 game. Yeah, it's a tough one because it's uh, kind of a miscue that leaves uh, Soderberg to get to the puck, and he just taps it across to Broussard. It's a one-timer. And, you know, you look at the goals even in the Vegas game the other night, not much John, could, John Gibson can do on those two that he was in the net for, and even this one again. Like, this has been the trend for John Gibson all year. It's like the, the, they'll get scored on, and you're like, well, John Gibson couldn't do anything about that one. It's either on the power play and they end up getting an open net on it, or, you know, there's a, a defensive miscue where they don't cover a guy or it ends up hitting it off somebody and going in the net. Those are the goals that seem to be going on John Gibson this year. So it's been a tough year for him. But, yeah, I mean, not much you can do. I mean, he's wide open. Pretty much anybody's going to hit that. And Broussard's not a bad player. He's he's a top six type player. So he's going to put that in the back of the net every time. Yeah, you know what, though, has been nice since Bobby's taken over the bench is that uh, we haven't seen the holy hell John Gibson needs to make 15 15- um, saves where he's standing on his head, and the Ducks are just letting everything get to the front of the net. It's nice to see or Gibby like have forty to make a... plus saves. Oh, like we haven't seen that. I yeah. mean, I know it's only been two games since he's come back, but right. even like what Vegas had just over thirty yesterday, and the Abs had twenty six shots today. So it hasn't been just a like ridiculous number where like every game you're like, oh, he's gonna probably hit forty almost every game. The Ducks right. are just giving up that many shots. I mean, w- w- was it too long ago? The Ducks were second last in the league in shots against it was like 36 per game and the only ones worse were ottawa and they were trending on being the worst team in, in the league history close to like 37 38 <laughs> shots per game. so at least that's gone down and that's probably why they've been playing a little bit better too because if you're not giving up you know 25 30 or 30 to 40 shots a game you're going to look better defensively and you're going to be in a better position on the shot share than the ducks were early on yeah but i mean they've cleaned it up so I, I'm enjoying the Bob Murray style of hockey, which means I hope he brings in somebody who's kind of along the same way of thinking, right? I don't know if that's going to be Dallas Eakins or if that's going to be Ricard Gromberg, who we all hope is kind of being groomed for that position and, and is it the choice to come to Swedenheim, as many Ducks fans have said. But uh, we'll see how that, how that pans out this summer. Going to be a very interesting summer in Anaheim depending on what happens, you know, whether it could be a lot of bad things that are interesting or a lot of good things. But uh, (laughs) David's not in our YouTube chat today, so he doesn't have the chance to bring up uh, Joel Quenville as being the the Ducks coach that he wants, which I don't think is going to happen. You can't afford him, and why are you going to recycle a guy? Why would he want to come here anyway? Yeah. Like, again, I'm not trying to be negative, but honestly, at this point in where the Ducks are trending towards, why would he want to come here with what he's done? In Chicago, he's going to want to go to a team that has a chance to be good and that he can hopefully make them that little bit better to push him over the top. Like, this is a guy at this point in his career and what he's won. He's not going to come back to the league to, to try and rebuild the team and, and wait, like, five years before they're competitive again. It's no. Just not, it's not going to happen. 
Uh, so Eric Stevens just tweeted, which I think is great. As the as, We'll wrap the game. Ducks win 2-1, as you guys know. Solid 60 minutes of play. Sure, they, it could have been more wide open. I think Anaheim could have had another two or three goals in this game for sure. But, you know, they just had a really bad time converting. Uh, Brendan Gooley. This is great, Eddie, because this is what we want. Uh, led the Ducks in both shot attempts with 10 and shots on goal with 4. As a defenseman, mind you. Played 20 minutes in one second tonight. Had a helper and uh, three credited hits and two block shots. Solid game, man. He's yeah, been great. And, and not just that. I, just like last night, he was on the ice for the most scoring chances for for the Ducks with nine. He shared that with a few other players. And then he was second in expected goals again for the second straight game, only behind uh, Ryan Getzlaff in this game and not too far behind him. So he's just contributed offense. And, like, you know, specifically, he's not doing it in a really flashy way. He's just making smart plays. Yep. And that's what we talked about the last game. And and that's the difference, I think, between him and what you were used to seeing from Brandon Montour. You notice when Brandon Montour is having a good game because he's making, you know, plays that you, you can't ignore, right? He's, he's making a... a, a, a end-to-end rush all the way up the ice or he's making a ridiculous pass or he's making a nice move. Brendan Gooley just makes good plays all game and they add up to having a really good night. And, you know, that's something we've seen from Hampus Lindholm for how long? You know, pretty much since the start of his career. Yeah. You don't really notice him too much throughout the entire game, but then you look at the numbers after the game and he's had himself an excellent night. And that's what Brendan Gooley's been doing since joining the Ducks. It's just making really good plays, no mistakes all night. And that turns into having a really good game. And then he ends up chipping in the assist on a smart play as well. So it's, it's just all going well for Gooley so far. This has been better than I expected, honestly. I, I thought Gooley would eventually be a good player. But, you know, only playing two games this year, 18 in, in a season with the Sabres last year, that I didn't think he was going to come into the lineup and be this good and be ready to, to step in and be a solid 3-4 right now. But I think he's surprised everybody, and he's looked—he's looked almost what you would think he would be as a finished product. And uh, he's still got time to grow. He's still got time to get a little bit bigger, add some size, and, and establish his game. And I think uh, if this is just the starting point, there's a lot of good things to come from him. Absolutely, man. Lots of upside. Uh, how about Kevin? How about Kevin Wall's return to the ice? Right, he came back from a ruptured tendon. The Ducks, as the broadcast said, that they were really looking forward to him coming to Anaheim this year. And obviously that injury was severe. He wasn't able to play. But I think he had a really solid first game back in one sec. I've got to turn a light on here, dude. It's, it's looking like Canada up in my house. It's look, it's looking like how I normally do. Yeah, it looks like Canada show, here. Hold on a minute. It slowly gets, gets darker throughout the night. But, no, Kevin Waugh had a solid game. And you would hope he would, right? Because he was playing on a line with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. So yeah. he was given a, a pretty good opportunity. But you still have to make good of those chances that you're given. And he had a solid game. I mean, he was on top in shot share, uh, was on top in his scoring chances for, on top in high danger chances for, uh, above 50% in all three of them. Just a, a really good night from him to play on the top line. And that's what you're looking for. When you got Bob Murray knowing that these guys need to be put with good players to succeed, you need to go out on that top line and show that you can play there. And I think him and both Daniel Sprong, who, who both needed to prove that they deserve to be in this top six, did that tonight. Watt played a significantly more amount of time than, than Daniel Sprong did. Sprong only played about seven minutes at five on five, and, and Watt ended up playing. He had a strong power. game too, though. Daniel Sprong had a really strong. game. They did, yeah. They both did. They didn't play, you know. Well, like I said, Watt played more time than, than Sprong did, but it was surprising that Sprong played the second least minutes at five on five. Only Shore played less, and Shore got hurt and left the game. It was, uh, and the only guys under ten minutes were Sprong and Terry, and. 
when you look at shot share and scoring chances, they were two of the Ducks' best forwards tonight. So I don't know why they played less minutes than Ryan Kessler, Max Jones, and Carter Rowney did because they were actually looking two of the most dangerous guys in the ice at times looked like Troy Terry and Daniel Sprague. So I don't know if that's just Bob Murray, again, not really liking to play the guys too much that don't play, you know, um, in their own zone. But when you're chipping in offensively, as much as Daniel Sprong was tonight, I mean, he definitely should have had at least one or two goals. So I, I don't know why he didn't play as much. But as for Kevin Wye, I think he had a really strong game. No, he had a great one. And so Gordon Bombay in our chat, and we can get to questions here if you'd like. Anyone in chat have questions, shoot them in. Uh, Gordon Bombay says, um, does Waugh have a place in the lineup next year? That's an interesting question with a lot of young guys going to be filling out this this roster. I think he does. I think there's an opportunity for Kevin Waugh to, to stake his claim in Anaheim. Well, listen, there's always an opportunity for a guy to stake his claim and, and play well. Especially but, a speedy guy with hands. Like, I think he can. Yeah, the, the problem with me is, is the only way he's going to be effective is playing in the top nine. You, you don't put a guy like that, I think, on the fourth line. And I know you need to have a skilled fourth line now, but I think you still need to have a little bit of size on, on that fourth line when you, you still have to go up against some semi-traditional fourth lines in this league. And you look at you know one of the most successful fourth lines is the New York Islanders with Sizikas, Clutterbuck, and Matt Martin. They still yeah. have some skill, but there's some big guys. And if you send Kevin Wild against them, I don't think that's going to fare too well for him. And then the problem I have with it is, you know, we talked on the last show about the Ducks having some left wing depth next year, and you still have Raquel, who generally plays left wing for this team. You've got Max Jones, who should be here next year. You've got Maxim Comtois, who's going to get a shot. And then you've got uh, Andre Cash, who's going to be back, and they still have to somehow work him on the right side with Terry Perry and, and Silverberg. And Silverberg's a guy who's shown that he can go over to the left side as well. So then you've got all these wingers, and it doesn't look like. Kevin Wild would really have a place to go because Carter Rowney's going to be here. Devin Shore generally is a left winger, not a center. So Let me ask you this. Nick, Nick Ritchie or Kevin Waugh? That's what I, that was my train of thought. It was like Nick Ritchie or Kevin Waugh? I would play Nick Ritchie at this point because, oh, okay. because Nick Ritchie you can put on a fourth line. True. And you can have him in a bottom six. And, and Kevin Waugh, I just don't think he's a, a bottom line type player because it just doesn't suit him that well. And you need to, like I said so far, from what he's shown in his time with the Ducks, obviously last year, because we haven't seen him at all this year, needs to be put with a player like Ryan Getzlaff, needs to be put with a player like Adam Henrique, where you know they're a little bit more offensive mind can get him the puck. That's nothing against Kevin Waugh. There's a ton of players like that in this league that have success. But I just think right now I would rather have Nick Ritchie, because if you're going to play possibly Silverberg, Raquel, Jones, Comtois on that left side, you're not going to take any of them out. For Kevin Waugh and you're not really going to take Nick Nick Ritchie out who has to pretty much play or you're going to just healthy scratch him because you can't send him down he has to play so Kevin Waugh's the guy that gets sent down and I, I think Nick Ritchie's had a good year so I believe he deserves to be in this lineup over Kevin Waugh we'll have to see what happens in this offseason they said there's going to be changes right who knows what that means uh, for this Ducks yeah, lineup but... at this point who knows I mean I get what you're saying though it is, it is an absolute traffic jam in the wings for the, for young guys to get up and it's just going to be who has who has a better camp right <laughs> it's going to be who who's yeah. coming out flying at camp and plays in preseason and, and shows a lot of promise i think there is room for kevin waugh on the team but it does make it difficult when you have guys like max jones and you got you got guys like um like even you said like nick ritchie on the left wing it's going to make it difficult for him to come in and break into this team, but um, I don't know. I think he had a solid game, and I'm glad he's back from that injury. It's pretty bad. So, Yeah, um, Matt had a couple questions in our YouTube chat specifically about coaches. Uh, he oh. said, do you think 
do you think Bob is just implementing Dallas Eakins' system in preparation for his arrival next year? That would be the um, smart thing to do if you were planning on doing that. Yeah, it would be, but I think he's more so just taking a bystander approach on the bench where he's letting the two, the few assistant coaches the Ducks have just kind of go with the flow. And whether that, you know, they have experience down with... I was going to say, but that makes a lot of sense. That's where Marty Wilford's from, so... Yeah, so maybe in that sense, because they have had experience behind the bench with Dallas Aikens, that's just the system they know and that's what they're going with. But I don't think, you know, I, I, I think if you're... I, a coach generally you don't have somebody else who's going to be able to just coach that style for you i don't think dallas Aikens is in bob murray's ear saying this is how i coach make make the boys coach like this i don't think that's happening i, I think but it's I more th- system related if it's going to go that route then it's system related yeah like i think you could have a, like a, a an effect that's happening where like you said you have a guy like marty wilford who's coached with dallas Aikens, and you get that kind of effect that's happening where a similar style of system is being implemented to what was under Dallas Aikens when he was down there. Because I, I do think it's the assistant coaches who are essentially running this team in the sense of, of what system they're going with right now. So you might get a similar system when Dallas Aikens comes up, maybe a little bit more refined and, and more so what he actually wants. But I don't think Bob Murray is actively saying, yeah, this is what Aikens wants to do, and I'm getting it ready for him next year. I don't think that's what's happening, but you're getting a little bit of that, I think. Eh, possibly, but I would say possibly that's what's going on. Either way, it's been a much more fun defense to watch because they're not just bleeding shots on net. So, yeah, no, exactly. It's it's not that bad. Uh, Matt had another question. He said, "Do you think it is likely that an NHL team hires Gromberg as a head coach when he has zero experience in North America, or is it more likely he steps into the head coaching position in the AHL?" Oh, I think there's a head coaching position available for him if he wants it. Just depends on where. I really, really believe that. I mean. You have teams that are hiring coaches out of the NCAA, uh, guys getting promoted from the AHL, and yeah, I know that Gromberg doesn't have the AHL experience, and then when he spoke with us, he said he would take a job in North America. He was very open about what, you know, he would go to almost any team, or any team. He didn't even get specific on it, right? He just wants to get to the He was NHL. even in, uh, he was even with HC Davos in, I believe, Switzerland, and mm-hmm. he said, I would even take a position here. Obviously, I want to coach in North America, but if this was an option and I had nothing else, then he would coach here. So, like, he's, his mind is pretty open right now where he's not going to just say, oh, I only want to coach here. Right. Like, he's not going to do that because if, if nobody did come calling, he has to go coach somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, at least there's a better chance, you know, this is a new, unique position where a guy is coaching at the national team and comes over with no head coaching experience at, at like, a, an actual professional team, uh, like a club team. You don't see this too often where guys just come from the national system and go into a head coaching position in the NHL, let alone anywhere. So he might have to get some experience behind a club team, whether it's in Europe or the AHL or the NHL. But I'm sure there has to be some team or even an assistant coaching position, right? Like that could be what comes first. And I'm sure he would uh, would have take that as well, especially if it's in the NHL. So I, I think he'll take whatever's best for him. But the, I, I would assume based off what I've heard about him what, what, when we talked to him, that there has to be at least one team that's going to come calling for him to be a head coach, and that could be oh, Ottawa. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's so many dogs. places, Eddie, right? Like, he's, he's been on a number, coach. I mean, a number of podcasts have talked to him, right? Not just us. Even even the, the high-profile you know, the uh, the high profile shows, I think 31 Thoughts the, with Friedman Craig and Merrick. They talked to him. Yeah. Custins talked to him about him coming here. He was giving tips to Dave Haxtell when he was in Philly. It's like... 
Ricard Gromberg's not a fly under the rain, fly under the radar guy. Like people know no. who he is, and they want him in the system somewhere. Well, you got you got guys so. like Pierre Lebrun writing articles about the, this guy possibly being, you know, the first guy to do, do this coming over from a, coaching a national team. Like I think he will, and and obviously there are general managers who know about him. Like it's hard to when you've got a lot of people in the industry talking about this guy. So I'm sure he's at the, the top of a lot of people's lists. Again, it just all depends if, if they want to take a risk like that. You know, not every guy is going to want to take a risk and go with a, a complete unknown in a situation that really hasn't happened where you can draw any comparables and say, yeah, like this guy did this and had success. With Gromberg, you can't do that. So you're going to have to get a general manager who really believes that he's going to turn out and, and do well or that has enough time to, you know, make a decision like this if it doesn't pan out still has time to go out and make another decision as it, you know, cause it's on their job too. Like this is their decision. If you're a general manager, you might not want to take that risk cause you want to keep your job. Like it, it, it sucks and it's stupid that, but you know, most guys are going to look out for themselves to begin with. So I think he gets one. I, I, I think he gets a head coaching job in this league. I hope it's with Anaheim, but I honestly can see Ottawa being the team that goes out and, and makes a big move like that. Cause they need some sort of shakeup. So they, they could be the, the team that goes out and makes the risk. I, I don't know. I really feel like he's he's still going to get a job in the NHL next year. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I know I'm not an insider or expert on that. But there's just so much going on around him and so much in North America going on around him with people bringing him on shows and talking about him. He, he's a high-profile guy. I really see him stepping into a role next season. So Yeah, I think so. And, and then he said, like, what are the chances of uh, him possibly getting the goals job if there was no NHL team calling? Um, I still think there will be. But if there, if he doesn't get an NHL job, the AHL would probably be the next best destination for him, right? Or or an assistant coaching position in the in the NHL. So it, you know that would be a great situation for the Ducks to get Aikens as your head coach and, and Gromberg as your head coach down in San Diego. Um, but and then you're just kind of hoarding assets, right? Like you're you're not sa- you're not saving Gromberg for later to take over from Aikens. Cause if you bring a Dallas Aikens, you're hoping he's going to be here for a long time. Right. So, you know, to me it's a nice foregone conclusion that it's Dallas Aikens. That's the safe yeah. move. That's the ducks move. That's a Bob Murray move. That's a it's known, 100%. it's, it's a known it's quantity. Like you know what you're going to get. And so you have yeah. to just do it. That's exactly. And what he even, is. I think he even mentioned, I don't know if it was him who mentioned him. And when he fired Randy Carlisle saying he didn't want to, bring Dallas Aikens up because they're having a good year. I don't know if that quote came directly from him because I don't remember the, the quotes that he made after firing Randy Carlo, but there was mention of that, that he's taking over because he didn't want to bring Dallas Aikens up in the middle of a playoff run for the San Diego Gulls. So if that's the case and he said that, obviously Aikens seems to be the guy at the top of his list. I'm sure he's not going to just make the decision quickly. Like I'm, I'm sure he's going to interview other guys and make sure that he 100% wants to go with Dallas Aikens. But I would, I would assume, like you said, that's the safe pick. That's the most likely option that he's going to go with. Uh, I don't think there's too many other guys he's going to interview. I would hope Gromberg's one of them. Maybe there's some other guys we mentioned in a Patreon show we did a little while ago of the top 10 uh, coaching candidates for the Ducks that maybe yeah. some of those other guys could be. But I would have to assume Dallas Aikens is probably going to be the next coach for the Ducks. All right, let's get to our questions here. Do we have? I know we have one here. Awesome. Well, we have another one in the chat if you want to oh, cover that. let's do that one. Yeah, let's do that one. Uh, Brett was uh, going back to Brendan Gooley. He said, do you think Gooley's ceiling could be as a number two defenseman, not a number three or four? Do you think he can be that good? Oh, 
man. We're getting, in like, we're getting in like Hampus Lindholm type territory here as a number two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's clear Hampus Lindholm's not a number one defenseman in the league. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he, he's close. He's very close. But I think he's he the was, offensive output. He just does. 30, he need to be like a 30, 40 point guy. Added 40, on a 40 plus guy. Yeah. Yeah. To, to really get into being a number one. But he's a very good number two or yeah. one B. Even if you want to go that far, I would but say think, that Brendan Gooley. I think he would definitely be in the range of a two-three. I think that's probably what his range would be. I, I still have to say three-four because yes, he's looked very good over the last few games, but it's a few games, right? Yeah. Need to see the rest. Of, if he does this for the rest of this year, I'll definitely change my opinion and say there's a possibility he could be a two. But there's not many guys in this league you can call a two, right? Like it's. You know, Cam Fowler is a very good player. He's not a two. He's a three-four. You know, Brandon Montu, a very good player. He's not a two. So you'd have to say, you know, Brandon Gould is going to be even better than those guys on the same level as Hampus Lindholm. That's that's going to be tough. I mean, he's doing everything right right now, but I have to see the rest of this year and probably most of next year to really make that opinion. I mean, this guy's 21. Like, things could, could go south all of a sudden. Things could change. He could have a couple bad games, and then we're not even talking about this. So. Ah, nah. I think he's okay. It's, I'm a gambling man. And I, yeah, think I, okay. I, I, I think he's okay. I think he's okay. Having him as a three is, is the perfect situation. Like, that's not a bad idea. If he doesn't become a two and he becomes a three, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no. that's – you still get a first-round pick. And then if he's a three, he's better than Brandon Montour. So, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think Colin, seeing if he could be, a, like, a top two on a team, that's that's a little bit of a stretch for me right now when I haven't seen that much. From right. No, I could say I – I could see that. Um, Nick Webb from Facebook says, if Jones is going to be on the fourth line, do you guys think we should send him back to the goals? I'd rather see him sent down if he isn't going to get to play with a solid line mate for that kind of minutes. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because I think that he's shown he could play at the NHL level. And I think he's still going to find his way down to San Diego once the playoffs starts. I, I feel like that's something Bob Murray should reward him with to go play in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but it is tough to watch him play with a guy like Ryan Kessler at Kessler's stage in his career. And he's just not the same player. He deserves to be with a better playmaker for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's one game that he's been put down. Right. There, right. Like very small. He can with, with shore going out of the lineup, there's a chance maybe he could jump back up. And I don't think Kevin was going to be here all year. I, I think they're just giving him a chance because Nick Ritchie's out. But if Nick Ritchie comes back, I think Kevin Waugh is the guy that goes back down. And Nick Ritchie probably goes right back onto that fourth line with Kessler and Rowney because they were playing pretty well together. I think you just put Max Jones down there because he's a better replacement down on that fourth line. He more compliments what Nick Ritchie was doing on that line. Does a little bit more with his speed and creativity. And, again, like I said, Max Jones is just that type of player where you can put him on any line and he's going to do well and he's going to generate offense for himself. So I think fully when Nick Ritchie comes back, which should be soon. Kevin Watkins sent back down, and Max Jones jumps right back, probably on a line with now Derek Grant and Troy Terry since Devin Shores of the lineup. I, I, I don't see him staying too long on that fourth line if Nick Ritchie is, is back in the lineup. Let's hope not. And then we have another question that was on Instagram. Let me pull that up here. Just a second. We've got one from, from David. He says... Quinville to Anaheim is new head is. coach. Quinville. I already know what it is because I, I, you just said David. I know what it is. I, we talked about this. Joel Quinville's not coming anywhere near Anaheim. It's not happening. No. 
I don't. It's just not at his stage in his career with the money he makes. The Ducks are never going to spend six million dollars on a coach, and just because they can't, <laughs> you can't fork over that kind of money. And then um, on top of that, there's no reason for him to want to come here. You already kind of talked about that in this show. They're not at a place where they're going to win a championship. And if you're going to come back as a coach after being ultra successful, one of the greatest coaches of all time, um, as you looked at in history in the NHL with those Blackhawks victories, why well, come to Anaheim for a rebuild? I just don't see it happening. I don't really, I don't really think at this point it'd be good for this team either. I, I kind of feel like yeah. Dallas Eakins being a player's coach coming into the system with all these young guys that he's seen thousands of times is probably the perfect fit. So I think we're going to need see somebody Dallas. that can grow with this team. You need somebody that can be here for a while. And I don't think Joel Quinville is a guy who could be here for five to ten years. Yeah. I just don't think that's realistic. So you would need a guy who can grow with his team and hopefully be here for a long time because you don't want to have to bring Joel Quinville in and replace him in four years because he retires and then have to get a new coach in a new system and, and working with players that he hasn't worked with before. So I, I just don't think it would make sense for the Ducks right now. They need a younger coach to come in, a guy who can be here for a while, establish a system, and hopefully be successful with the Ducks. You never want to be that team who just recycles coaches every three or four years. That's not a successful team. You look at how long Quinn. Oh, like Randy Carlisle? Fire rehire. Yeah. Yeah. You just, hey, maybe you, you Bruce Boudreaux be a... will be our next coach. Maybe Minnesota gets rid of him this summer. We bring Brucey there. They might. They actually might. A lot of people <laughs> in the chat were saying that Robert would – they think he would stay away from Ottawa. If that was his only oh job offer, oh my god, you would hope he would heartbeat. stay away. I don't know if I would take that, even if they were offering me. Oh, no, you stupid can't money. say that. If you were a really? coach, if you were a guy who's looking to coach in the NHL, to work for Eugene Melnick. But if that's your only offer, it's either that's, like no, if it's, oh, no, if, if it's coaching in the NHL or coaching in Switzerland, you're gonna coach in the NHL. You're gonna go take that job as bad as know. offer is. You, you would tell me you would choose H.C. Davos over the Ottawa Senators. Just I know the Ottawa Senators are bad, but it's coaching in the NHL. Like, yeah, this is what I this know. guy wants to do. It's coaching in the NHL. If that's his only job offer, he's coaching in that, even if he has assistant coach offers. I think the good news right is now, it's not going to be his only one. He's going to have others. So I think he's okay. He should, yeah. <laughs> he, he should have, uh, have others. Uh, Matt said, do you think trading some of the young wingers to get a young third-line center with upside is a legitimate possibility? I would assume that, I think, with young wingers, he probably means like Troy Terry, Max Jones, uh, or, or Maxim Comfort, those types of guys, and, mm. and maybe bring in a young center. I don't really feel like it's necessary. I don't. I don't think so. When you've got Sam Steele and Isaac Lundstrom, who are potentially that those was, young was going with Lundstrom with upside, right? Like yeah. Sam Steele should be your your young third line center with upside, and Isaac Lundstrom maybe can also be your young third line center with upside. You already kind of have two of those guys in the system who could do that, and I guess you could say a third if you think Antoine Moran could eventually be a, a young center as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's more probably going to shift to the wing, but still, you've got guys right now three guys who play center in this system who are younger players that are projected to be second and third line guys so i don't think you need to right now like i think he means more along the line of going and getting an established guy right now right. a guy who's proven as a young third line center because right now the ducks just really have uh, ryan Getzlaff and uh, adam henrique and then it's like Derek grant and, and ryan kessler and those aren't really good third line centers but you would hope, right, that Sam Steele next year could be that guy, or Isaac Lindstrom. Could you would be hope that so, guy. And, and Sam Steele's kind of turned it on in the AHL as of late. He's he's been scoring goals at a pretty good clip uh, down in San Diego. So we'll see where his development's at come summertime and when training camp rolls around in September. But I don't want to trade a winger at this point. I feel like the Ducks have a lot of young assets that are great 
second and third line guys. And like I said many times, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's one of these guys in here that's a sneaky elite player that's going to pop up on the wing on the top line and be a 40-goal 40, a 40 guy a year. Those are hard to find. Jeez. That's why I don't think so. You think they have that? You think they think Brandon Comtois is a 40 Maybe. guy in this league? I don't that's, think... That, that's high, high up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, whenever like... we talk elite level score, and you're looking at a guy who's generational, if you're, you're scoring 40 plus goals a year, you're probably a generational winger. Probably, oh, yeah. They're, they're, who who scores forty plus every year? Is it just Ovi? Like, <laughs> no, like honestly, like I, who scores forty every year? I yeah. don't know anybody other than like thirty every year is like elite score. Mm-hmm. And like you're looking at some of the elite players in the league. There's probably only about I'd say a, a top like highest end twenty guys in this league who score thirty every year. I'd have to obviously look at that, but off the top of my head I can only think of a few of them and then Ovi's mm-hmm. only one off the top of my head I can think of that could be a 40 every year Line was the closest thing to that until this year yeah, and now so, he's overrated so maybe we can trade for him yeah I I don't know man I, I 40 every year that's that's like greatest of all time territory like that that's happen. insane that's, that's Ovi and Ovi almost scores 50 every year pretty much so the Ducks would be lucky if they turn if they turn Maxime Comtois uh, or Max Jones or a Troy Terry into a 35 goal guy a year that's, I, I think the, that's a the home closest run. guy to, yeah I think the closest guy to doing that right now would be Maxim Comtois because he seems more of the pure goal scorer type Max Jones I think could be a 20 goal scorer in this league consistent 20-50 type guy like 20 goals 50 points and just plays a hard style of game it can be a good you know second line winger th- at the top end or just a third line utility guy and Troy Terry is a really good playmaker I can see him around the same like 40-50 point range similar to what Silverberg puts up Maybe 20 goals. I don't know if Terry's really the 20 God, goals. We're going to get so much crap right? for this. We're going to get so much but crap I just, for this. I, Troy Terry to me is a playmaker. I don't know if he, he's a 20 goal a year consistent type. Maybe like he gets close every year. There are years he hits it in a good year. He goes over it. I just I don't know if he's a consistent 20 goal guy. Jones I think definitely could be. Um, Comtois, you're, you're hoping, and this is like high at 30 goals a year. But that, I mean, like I said, we're, we're putting him in elite territory for a guy we've seen play like 10 games, right? Mm-hmm. Just because of what he's doing in junior. There's a chance he could come up, play a full season, and it just doesn't work out. But if any, if the Ducks have, if you look at who has the best shot at doing that Probably in comes the, the prospect system for, for the Ducks, it, it's Maxime Comtois. Let's see how that pans out. All right, man, we got anything else? Or are we done for the day? I think we're done. That's that's pretty much it. We're over an hour, so we can end it here and uh, move on to the next game. I think we're playing Arizona next. Yeah, we got an away game in Arizona on Tuesday night at 6 p.m. is the start time for the game. And then Wednesday night, Jason and I will be at the home game uh, against St. Louis on Wednesday. So that'll be fun. Uh, if you guys want to meet up with us, I'll have details on that. That'd be nice to, to hang out with some of you guys if you're at the game. Should be a goodie, um, just in the way of... Uh, get to see some good players come to Anaheim and we get to watch these young guys in the duck system play some NHL hockey. So looking forward to that. Also, we have a watch party coming up on March 23rd against the Kings. It'll be at Craftsman Pizza over off Imperial in the Palma here in Anaheim. Um, right off the 91 freeway. They're going to have great prices. I've said it before. We're working with the owner on getting some deals set up for that watch party for us. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and on top of that, Eddie will be in town on that uh, that watch party for the one to end the season. So a lot of good things looking at March 23rd. It's always a goodie against L.A., so that'll be a good time. Yeah. But uh, if we don't hear from you guys um, you know, via social media, we look forward to speaking with you guys coming up on Tuesday night. We'll be back with another podcast. Have a great one. See you guys.